morning, everyone. Good to see all of you this morning. Um, it may have been a very heavy week for some of you, but let me try to lighten the mood a little bit because I think that's what our psalm would call for uh, this morning. Um, it wasn't uh, a totally bad week for, for everyone. Uh, yes, or not, sorry, Friday, if you were following the news, was the March for Life uh, in Washington, D.C. Actually, one of Spencer's teachers' uh, wife and uh, daughter went. And he was telling me on Friday how um, he dropped his wife and daughter off at four in the morning uh, to go there to Washington, and then they returned. Uh, he was going to pick them up at um, 10 o'clock that, that day, so they just had flown for the day to attend the uh, March for Life to um, yeah, stand up for the rights of the unborn children. So that was a, definitely a positive for the week. Um, yeah, it's... The psalm does call us to, um, you know, praise God and, and rejoice, and, and it tells us reasons why we can rejoice, even though, um, you know, things may not be going particularly well. Um, I just want us to watch a video just to kind of get us in the mood for, or, or get us, uh, give us a sense for what the psalm's trying to do. Uh, remember a few years ago when, when flash mobs seemed to be the trend. Um, Sometimes they are just silly, but I think when they're done uh, well, they can be quite effective. And I wanted you to watch this video, which I thought was pretty cool.
not really into oratory music, but, but something stirs inside of me when I hear the Hallelujah chorus song. I mean, the great chorus of voices saying, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, King of kings and Lord of lords, forever and ever. Amen. And this is what the psalmist encourages in our psalm for today. You know, as you, uh, if you were here last week and you remember the different types of psalms we went over, uh, you could probably identify Psalm 98. It's definitely a Thanksgiving hymn, praise type of psalm. Um, the psalms back then were used in corporate worship. And here the author pulls out all the stops in calling the congregation to praise God. Uh, the psalm is broken down into three sections, and with each preceding section, the psalmist builds louder and louder praise. And you can just see this by looking at the beginning words for each section. Verse 1, sing to the Lord. Verse 4, shout. Verse 7, resound. These Thanksgiving hymns, I mean, they can easily be identified because they all have a similar basic structure. They all begin with some type of call to worship, something like, Praise the Lord, come and let us sing for joy to the Lord. You know, here in our psalm, sing to the Lord a new song. Second, these psalms continue by expanding on reasons why God should be praised, and we'll see how this works in Psalm 98. So let's look and see what specifically Psalm 98 meant to the readers back then. Um, first, Israel is to praise God for his salvation in the past. Sorry, I forgot my clicker. Can um switch to the first place? Yes. Israel is to praise God for his salvation in the past. Verses 1 to 3 again. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate that. What salvation is being referenced here? The psalm isn't specific in terms of what the author was thinking about when he writes this. But actually, that's a trait of the psalms. Because the psalms are used in corporate worship, the authors usually refrain from naming specific events so that the worshipers, when they were singing the psalm, could think of instances that were true for them. So, for example, even though Psalm 51 was written by David, right after uh, he was confronted by the prophet Nathan for uh, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. You will never find him mentioning that incident in Psalm 51. So the readers who read it and sing it could think of it, think about it in their own context. And so in this psalm, readers of the first stanza could think of things like the exodus from Egypt, the fall of Jericho with Joshua, the time when the Israelites returned from Babylonian exile. The psalmist states that they were saved by God's right hand and his holy arm. And back then, understand, right hand was a symbol of one's strength and authority. So when you think of all the events mentioned, you realize how these were truly worked out by God's righteousness and his might. The Israelites never had to go to battle for any of these things. God in his sovereignty miraculously caused these things to happen. He caused Pharaoh to tell Moses to, to tell the people to go. He, the Israelites just walked around the walls of Jericho and miraculously they fell. It was a foreign king that God worked through in Babylon that told the Israelites, go back to your homeland. 
They didn't have to do a thing. It was truly worked out by God's right hand and his holy arm. He did so, as it says in verse 2, out of his faithfulness to Israel. And as a result, all the earth could see the salvation of Yahweh. Who is this God, they would think, that would do such things for his people? And for this, Israel could truly rejoice. In the second stanza, the psalmist seeks to raise the decibel level by asking all people on earth to shout for joy to the Lord, to burst forth in jubilant song. He calls the instruments to join in, the harp, the trumpets, the horns. Why? Because, as it says in verse 6, he is king in the present. He's king in the present. The Israelites back then were used to having an earthly king ever since the time of King Saul. But they knew that whichever king was on the throne was only a pale reflection of the true king, Yahweh. No earthly king of Israel or any other nation would diminish the reign and rule of God. In Psalm 24, the psalmist declares, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Later, who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. So no matter what the situation is, God remains king. And accordingly, the psalmist instructs the readers to sh- and, and all the earth to shout for joy to the Lord. And then in the third stanza, stanza the psalmist reaches his crescendo in writing verses 7 to 9. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. So not only are humans called to praise God, but all creation, the seas and everything in it, the rivers, the mountains. Why are they to praise the Lord? Because, as it says in verse 9, he will come to judge in the future. He will bring judgment in the future. This is actually what creation has been longing for. You know, in addition to immigration, recently climate change has been brought up in the news a lot. Since our new administration has recently placed the media blackout on the EPA, he's restricted new proposals and projects, and they've restarted projects that have environmental applications. The president himself once said climate change is a hoax. Nobody, though, is sure how much of this he truly believes. But his current actions show that he's not too concerned about it. And he still questions how much of environmental change can be attributed to human activity. The scripture makes it clear that climate change, environmental change is real. And though the verdict may still be out about how much human activity causes environmental change, change, the Bible does confirm to us that it was initially caused by human action. Romans 8, verses 20 to 24, says this, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption 
to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. It says right in Romans, the earth and all creation is decaying. And it is so because of what happened in Genesis 3 when Adam sinned in the garden. And as a result, all creation fell under a covenant curse as described in that chapter. So creation is frustrated, as it says in Romans 8.20. It's groaning, as it says in verse 22. It longs for a time when God will return to renew creation. But though it is still in a state of decay, though it is still groaning and in frustration, the psalmist explains that creation can still praise God because of this hope that it can have in God's return when he will bring an end to the bondage of decay and make all things right and make all things new. If you've quickly gone through the psalm, you can easily see this progression made from all Israel singing praise to God for the past, all people shouting joyfully to God in the present and all, ultimately all creation praising God for, for the future. And this is what it meant to them. So what does it mean for us? For us living in New Testament times, we now see things through the lens of Jesus. And this is appropriate. When two disciples were on the road to Emmaus after Jesus went missing from the tomb and they weren't exactly sure what happened, Jesus appears to them. And it says in Luke 24, verses 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, not just the Pentateuch or the prophetic books, but all scripture at that time. And here Jesus declares that the whole Old Testament, including Psalms, anticipated the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And so there's no, absolutely no uncertainty. Jesus later appears to all the disciples later in that chapter, Luke 24. And in verse 44, he tells them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, he says. And here the Psalms would include all the other poetry books of the Old Testament. So it is correct that we apply this Psalm and all the Psalms based on our relationship with Jesus. As such, we are to praise Jesus who saved us in the past, Praise Jesus, who is our King in the present. And praise Jesus, who will come to judge in the future. Through Jesus' death and the cross and his resurrection, he has paid the price for our sins to be forgiven and our relationship to be restored with God. For those who are followers of Christ, we have been, we have been redeemed through this work done in the past. Presently, he is still King over all. And once again, as Emily shared, as we prayed about, a lot of sweeping changes have happened in our government this past week. Maybe some of you actually liked some of them. I mean, he, he, I think some of them were good. Maybe you hated many of them and are quite concerned. Like Emily, I, I don't agree with President Trump's immigration ban. I certainly have concerns over his EPA media blackout and recommending for his secretary of the EPA, a man who acknowledges climate change, but has worked rigorously in the past past to bring lawsuits against the EPA for regulations. But to all this, you know, 
The psalm reminds us that Jesus is still king. Nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing happens that is out of his sovereign control. He still reigns, and no human ruler can do anything to thwart his plans. And on a side note, I just want to mention here that if some of these things seriously concern you, send a message to your senators and your state rep. You know, we can complain, we can say how much we don't like these things, but if you, we just complain, we're basically doing nothing. I mean, if you're that concerned, contact Senator Markey, contact Senator Warren, find out who your state rep is, whether it's Joe Ken- Kennedy or Mike Capuana or Catherine Clark. I know many of us tend to shy away from politics, but as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to stand up for biblical principles and values. And this is just a very easy way to do that. So contact your government leaders if you have such concerns. But anyway, that's not the point of the psalm, so I don't want to spend much time on that. Um, the point of the psalm, once again, is for us to praise Jesus. Because no matter what happens, he is still king. And for the third stanza, we praise Jesus because he will come to judge in the future. The world as we know it now is in bondage to sin and decay, but as verse 9 states, Jesus will come to judge the world in righteousness. Isaiah 9 states, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. He will return one day, and he will make all things right. And so I, you know, it wouldn't seem right to, you know, read this psalm and, and tell you about how much it instructs us to praise God and praise the leader God and not do this. So we're going to have a more extended worship set at the end, so we can praise God. But just to conclude, uh, just a, a couple of thoughts uh, before I wrap up. You know, maybe things for you aren't currently going that well. Maybe you feel you don't have much to praise God for. But I hope this psalm reminds you that there are always reasons to praise God. Now, verse 1, sing a new song to the Lord. And I was thinking this week about what does this word new mean? What makes a song new? You know, maybe for some of you it feels like you just keep on singing the same old song. And it's not that exciting. In fact, it's getting kind of old. But I think that what makes a song new is not maybe a new tune or melody, but it's the new verses we can add to the song each day. Because each day presents new challenges and opportunity. Lamentations 3, 22-23 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So our Lord continues to give us new grace and mercy every day. So we are not just to sing to him loudly at on Sundays at church, but each day we can celebrate God. He's worthy of our worship at school. He wants to be praised when you're behind your desk at work. Sing to him when you're on your way home from school or work. Sing to him at mealtimes. No matter who is the ruler on earth, we have Jesus who died and rose again to give us redemption. He reigns over all, and he's coming again, and he gives us Mercies which are new every morning. Sing to the Lord a new psalm, for he has done marvelous things. Let's proclaim, proclaim that our God is worthy. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this psalm and the encouragement 